Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon, retired NYPD sergeant with 27 years of service. And with me tonight, straight out of Brooklyn, retired NYPD detective Phil Grimaldi. How you doing, Phil? I'm doing pretty good, Billy, and I'm excited to uh, meet our new guests. Yes, and we have uh, two exciting new guests. They're from uh, Harvard. One of them's from Harvard, graduated <laughs> from Harvard, you know, and they're from Cam- Cambridge, Massachusetts. And we have Laura Rodriguez McDonald. I never like those hyphenated names. I said, pick one name, all right? Stop with the hyphenated hey, 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 It's, right. it's She makes me keep the Rodriguez in. It's really just McDonald. Okay, yeah, it gives you that ethnic spice, you know? Yes, and exactly. of course, And then we have Sarah Alcorn, who is a private eye, and they're both the, the co-hosts of an exciting podcast called Ivy League Murders. So before we get into this, guys, we're going to go into our Police Off the Cuff song, and we'll be right back. It's a show with two retired detectives that were in the thick of New York crime fast and hectic. They got some stories and some jokes. Even an interview with the most popular folks. Off the cuff, off the cuff. One episode just saying enough. And a little laughter, and an interview too. It's maybe the best thing you can do. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I know we're in for a hell of a show because these two were rocking out as when they heard the police off the cuff song. They were dancing there. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, got, I got a little nervous, there, but but that's all right. So, guys, you know, it's great to have you on the show. In fact, you know, I, uh, I ran into Bob Starkman, who was on your show, and he's good friends with Joe Pistone, of course, a.k.a. Donnie Brasco. And uh, I was in Florida in a place called Hillsborough Beach, and uh, I, I gave Bob Stockman a call who lives right around. I don't want to give up where these guys live. They're very, they're very nervous about people knowing where they live. Yeah, and, 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 and we met for lunch. And then he, uh, he told me that to have you two guys on the show. And uh, here you are. Oh, we, we love Bob and we love Joe. And yeah, they, they, we had him on. They were, they were fabulous. And thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Really no, appreciate. it's great. You know, Joe Pistone, the only problem I have when he comes on the show, he always he refuses to light himself. He's in the dark because he thinks someone's going to find him, you know? <laughs> so I'm like, Joe, could you turn up some lights so people could see you? You know, it's like, it's crazy. I know. And he's yeah, got the baseball you... hat and the sunglasses. Yeah, sunglasses. Yeah. I was like, Joe, do you wear sunglasses even at night? You know? Yeah, but <laughs> if you did honored. what he did to the mafia, you might want to be in the dark too, you know? That's true. Absolutely. That's true. Well, we have a picture of Joe Pistone in an Ivy League Murders t-shirt, which is quite an honor. I, oh my God. I, I I pulled that one up. I have it here. Here we yeah, go. Yeah, so we were, yeah. Yes. So that there was, we, we were very excited. Bob made that happen. He, and he, it's not that Joe Pistone is short. It's that Bob uh, Stockton oh, is about tall. six oh, yeah. five, six six. So Yeah, uh, basketball coach, yep. Yeah, a Hall of Fame, actually, a junior college Hall of Fame basketball and, coach. And an author. Yeah. Um, on both courts. Yeah. Inside both courts. I have inside that. I have the courts, shirt. Yeah. 
yeah. He gave me the me shirt, too. but my but my seventeen inch guns were ripping through the yeah, arm, okay. so I couldn't. Win. All right, here we go. <laughs> so so I, it didn't fit. So guys, right, let's wait, get, wait, let's wait, get wait, back. Wait, to wait, wait. Hold on a second. We got Professor Sergeant <laughs> Police Department comedian and, uh, bodybuilder. We got to add bodybuilder now. <laughs> so guys, I wanted to find out. Let's so. You started this podcast, I guess you've been in, in it for, I guess, over a year, year and a half now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, actually over two years yeah. now. But, oh, yeah. my God. Well, tell, tell us what the premise is besides you guys posing uh, for pictures um, by, <laughs> by cemeteries and uh, other Charlie's Angels type pictures. What is the premise of this podcast? We needed an excuse to pose, so we had to uh, come up with <laughs> Well, Sarah and I actually grew up in Cambridge in Harvard Square and really with both of us had parents um, working at Harvard. So we grew up really right in the middle of Harvard University and we went to high school right behind Harvard Yard. So we were both, I mean, I, I know I was and I'm Sarah probably too, immersed in Harvard from a very young age. And then Sarah more than me because she went there. And I was always kind of curious about the the dark side of Harvard because it was always presented to me as such a perfect place. And there were some big high profile cases in like the 80s and 90s and of people who went to Harvard murdering people and, and other Ivy League schools. And I just started to get really curious. Um, I'd always been a true crime fan, I mean, I've read Helter Skelter probably when I was 12. I mean, I, I've always, and Sarah and I connected and it was just the perfect union. Yeah, it's a uh, same thing. I mean, I've all, I went to Harvard. I've always been obsessed with crime. I've been a private investigator for 23 years. So obviously, you know, I've been interested in crime. Why, you know, the investigative process, everything like that. And so you know, Laura and I met and we, if anything, Laura was more crime obsessed than I was. And so we just started talking about, you know, what, you know, hey, maybe, maybe we could cover these, these cases. And I, you know, and I think me going to Harvard sparked something in, in Laura too. And, and so, and mostly, you know, we, we sort of, we kind of pick up where um, Dominic Dunn, you know, left off, I think, in some ways, not that I'm comparing us to Dominic Dunn, but, but that whole idea of like, how privilege can kind of really pervert justice. And, uh, you know, and, and so the Ivies are a good, it's, it's just good to look at the Ivies, because you get a lot of that at, at the uh, all eight, eight Ivies. Yeah, you know, Sarah, one of the things that, um, I, for the most part, I, I had a team of detectives in Manhattan North Homicide Squad, and I really didn't do the interviews and interrogations. Not that I never did, but mostly I wouldn't. I would, the detectives would do that. And I know that when a guy came in who was super cocky and rich, I knew my detective was going to shred the guy. He was going <laughs> to eviscerate this cocky piece of shit because he, this guy just stepped into a, the arena with the lion. You know what I mean? And this guy was all cocky. He's cocky in his world, but you just stepped into the world of this detective and this real cocky, Son of a bitch that may be an MD, a PhD, and whatever degrees he had, he's not going to be able to withstand the interrogation of a good detective. Oh, absolutely, and I think it is also the the thought that 
hey, I can out, you know, I'm much smarter than this guy and I can, you know, whatever, you know, use my, uh, you know, other, you know, what, what we find oftentimes is the subjects of our cases, they might be brilliant doctors, you know, that, but they're, they're terrible criminals. You well, know? you know, there's their <laughs> ego doesn't allow them to think that someone with a lesser education is going to be able to destroy them in the box. Phil, Bingo. why don't you talk I, about that, Phil? Oh, I'm itching to answer this one because I, I've been in the box many, many times, hundreds of times, and I know just what Billy's talking about. You get some cocky SOB that walks into the room and he thinks he's going to outsmart you. And as the conversation goes on, the minute I catch him in a line, and if it's a murder case, and a lot of times it was, my technique was I would slam my hand down on the desk. I'd look the guy right in the eye and say, do you think the judge is going to believe that bullshit? You're going to jail for 25 to life. And then I would slowly watch the color go out of his face. He would turn gray and then we'd go on from there. So I guess that when you have that, that shock and awe factor, you got to wait, you got to wait for your right moment. You got to know what time during the interview that you're going to send it in. And when you get that shock and awe moment, changes the whole dynamic. Yep. We have wow. seen that in so many of our cases. And I I think that, you know, it's not that we want to focus on the Ivy League because we want to look at privilege. Uh, we we want to look at how people of privilege, you know, use that to, you know, get out of things or, you know, that's really it, you know, like Sarah said, how the justice system is often perverted in these cases, and it very often is. And uh, it, it's, uh, and we've seen time and time again, I mean, Sarah, and I just, the Grinadier case comes to mind. We had a doctor in Massachusetts, brilliant Yale doctor. Um, same thing. I mean, he murdered his wife. And I mean, I just think a lot of these people too are people who've always been first. They've never been, they've been first in their class their entire lives. They've been complete successes and they've never been told no really. And they don't think that some cop who they think they're smarter than is going to outsmart them. And that we've seen them time and time again, them get crushed. And uh, it, it's, it is very interesting. You guys I'm are. I'm we, glad you didn't get nervous when I gave you the whole screen because sometimes people freak out. They're like, what happened? What happened? And you know, No, not at all. Like I said, we could paint the, right. you know, we, we could talk the paint right. off the wall. We're also, a, you know, we're in Boston. We're also in Kennedy country here, which has been, you know, another, you know, when you're talking about the justice system being perverted and, you know, so we see a lot of this here. So we really just wanted to explore it. Laura, you know, what's amazing is that you talk to kids of today and they have no idea about the whole Ted Kennedy Chappaquiddick incident. I know. They're, they're like baffled that, 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 what, that happened? You know, and you're like, yeah. And it was an era where there was no uh, social media. You know, the press was so intimidated of politicians. Even the police, Ted Kennedy went to the chief of police of Edgartown and said, this is what you're going to do. Bro, he ran the investigation. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yes, yes, Senator. Yes. I Could you imagine today the, the chief of police is done? No, that's not what we're going to do. You're under arrest. I mean, how he was never arrested for that is is unbelievable, right? Absolutely. And, and you know, more specifically, too, the Kennedys are deeply entrenched at Harvard, particularly. Yes. It's, you know, so you've got the Kennedy School at Harvard. You've got JFK Street right there in Harvard Square. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right. The, the Kennedys, 
could be a whole season really is that's the that's the thing it's just huge there i know. mean i used to see ted kennedy at harvard commencement because you know growing up we would go to harvard square and harvard commencement and um i you know he, ted kennedy was kicked out of harvard for cheating on a spanish test which a lot of people don't <laughs> know so it used to always amaze me now he did they did let him graduate later after he took some time off but it used to amaze me that he'd be at commencement for a school he was thrown out of for cheating on a test. Yeah, it's it's but just woke it's about incredible. privilege, right? Right. Yeah. And and you know, Sarah and I look at that a lot. And and we also we also look at cases where people come, you know, come from lesser means and go into the Ivies and are very overwhelmed by the privilege and what they find when they get there. Yeah, there's a there's a pretty tragic case at Harvard of a Two female roommates, one was Ethiopian and one, I believe, was of Vietnamese extraction. And um, and they it was a murder suicide. And uh, and it was it was this woman was clearly very mentally ill, you know, and uh, she ended up killing her roommate and she was sort of obsessed with her roommate as well and then ended up killing herself. And that was a definitely a case of of somebody who had come to the college very much from a different culture, from a different um, socioeconomic background and just couldn't acclimate, you know, just didn't acclimate. And, right. you know, I think had mental health issues on top of that as well. So, you know, we it's, used it's to, a tragic uh, case, so. we would sometimes have to go on the campus of Columbia University. And, you know, they hated the police. Columbia. I was just going to say totally not too welcoming. <laughs> and it was like, you know, Th those people like looked at you with such disdain. And meanwhile, if, if it wasn't for the police, they wouldn't be able to be in that neighborhood. You know, they just had that horrible murder last year where the girl went down into Morningside Park. She was buying yeah, weed. Yeah. I believe they found out she was buying weed and these three little mutts stabbed her to death, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's an example of the neighborhood that's around Columbia university, but, but yet Columbia university, uh, they're not they're not really police friendly you know i'm sure they if they're listening to this they're that. probably cringing no they're not even you know like no. all of these academic institutions that don't allow conservative speakers to speak on campus they attack the stage you know they're they're, they're so open-minded you know are you familiar with the jerry germain case at, at columbia by any chance well we'll talk to you guys a little bit uh about that case because that's something that Columbia, it happened, he was, I think, a security guard, Haitian guy, uh, got stabbed, never been solved. Um, and, oh. you know, we'll, we'll talk murdered. to you guys about that. He was murdered. murdered. And Columbia okay. just kind of like, you know, it like it didn't, ha it never happened kind of thing. So, well, you know, they're so surrounded by uh, the highest tech camera system now that to get away with anything there, they, they did like a ring of steel around that university now. And, yeah. you know, they also have bought up all the property from like 125th street all the way up to the hospital on 160, uh, 65th street, I believe it is. Yeah. And they've taken great criticism from the neighborhood for that because it's this liberal institution that's, you know, relocating all these poor people that are getting in their way, getting in the way of Columbia university who has, you know, billions of dollars to do whatever they want. What, what sure. year was that, Sarah? What year was that murder? 
I don't, Jerry Jermaine, I'll look it up for you guys. I think it was maybe. 80s? Uh, I know it was not. It wasn't. It, I think it was 90s. I'm pretty 90s. sure. Well, well, we were both on the job then. It doesn't sound familiar though, Bill, does it? No, it yeah. doesn't. I, I was I was actually in the 2-6. No, I was in the 2-6, which covers Columbia University for six months when I got promoted to sergeant. Yeah. So that well, was 1990. Well, well, we should do a show on that. Yeah. Also. We oh, yeah. should. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because it's never been solved. Yeah. And, you know, he was a, you know, he... It, there's it's an interesting backstory as well and you know just anyway i was like trying to warm up cold cases put it to you that way so yeah well that would be great we should do you it. know one of the things that i was reading when i did a little research on you guys that there's this uh bizarre phenomenon that occurs where people like if someone in the uh in the ivy league community commits a heinous crime like a murder that how could they be so brilliant and throw their life away? And then they get these people that champion for them. And I guess that's part of the whole culture of the privilege. And uh, I think that you guys explore that. And I think that that takes a lot of courage to do stuff like that, because I could imagine there's got to be tremendous uh, pushback on uh, specific things, specific cases where uh, you have these uh, other Ivy leaguers, where they, they'd be from the, uh, from the political community or they'd be from the, you know, the social community or their, their alumni from this different, these different schools, you know? So uh, I think that takes a lot of courage to do that, that uh, it's very interesting. I uh, found the whole concept of what you guys are doing uh, very interesting. I mean, I don't know if it's courageous. I think it's though, I think we, we, we try to just sort of shed a spotlight on, on these cases. And truthfully, you know, we, we try to, um, because it's Ivy League murders too, we try to pull in a little bit of like philosophy, a little bit of psychology, a little bit of literature, a little bit of history if we can. And, you know, and I, I but you're right though, we've seen many cases where people are, are kind of backed by absurdly by, by their peers because they're from this institution. And it's like, you know, guys are just these. This is a rotten apple. Why are you trying to keep him in the bag, kind of thing? The or reason her, I think it's know? the reason I think it's courageous, though, is because in a we're living in a time of cancel culture, and these people in high places in Ivy League schools could really have a uh, you know a social media effect on people that they don't like, so to speak, you know, so no, that's bring it on, <laughs> you know, bring it on. It's seriously, it's like, you know, well, when we started you know. this, um research i think sarah and i had we found a list of like eight cases on the internet um you know brilliant killers or something and it took us about a year and um we have i mean we have hundreds of cases now of the eight ivies mm -hmm. and the sister schools so there's the cases are out there um lots and lots of them it's just the schools don't really want you to know about them. So it takes a lot of digging to find the cases. You know, uh, Laura, a uh, Milwaukee civilian who's in the chat, he says, is the Ivy League a big enough topic? Will you expand to the Big Ten or even the University of Chicago? <laughs> oh, definitely. Well, I'm a graduate of University of Miami. So uh, I, I. How did not. you go to school? How did you do any work go to school in Miami? I, My yeah. God. She probably had a great tan, Bill. Yeah, really? She did. didn't. Yeah, it took about. She learned how to pose. Years. That's where she got these poses exactly. for the. Uh... I'm telling you, if you see her pictures from that time, she was very, very tan. 
like too uh, tan, yeah, way too tan. <laughs> but but <laughs> Miami, you know, to, yeah. <laughs> to, to answer the the posted question, yes, definitely, we are interested. Yeah, you know, the Ivy League is for starters, sister schools. Um, yeah, the Big Ten for sure. Yeah, absolutely. We definitely even the some of the European institutions. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we just, you know, there's only, but absolutely. It was a starting place and, you know, we're in Boston. So we have a lot of interest in BU, Northeastern, you know, the Boston schools. And we work with one of our other partners went to NYU. Uh, You know, so we have lots of interest in all different schools. We keep track of cases at all these schools. We just kind of put them separately. And some of our cases touch upon several schools because a lot of our people went to several schools. So, um, you know, we also, we experienced it before I went into homicide in, uh, in what was it? 2001. I was a rip sergeant, which is a robbery uh, investigation sergeant in the, in the two, four squad. We had, we had a couple of those ritzy schools, the high schools. Yeah. And the, the, uh, I forget the names of Colgate collegiate. Some of these, you know, Yeah. And these these were fifty thousand dollar a year high schools, so these kids were getting the shit kicked out of them, getting robbed going to and from school, and we'd go there, and the the headmaster would lie about it. Oh no, a Biff didn't get robbed, did you, Biff? You know, and you wow. can see that they threatened. And then, meanwhile, the kid's got a big like he's got a big egg neck on his face, uh, and I go and I I grabbed the headmaster. I said, "You're a lying mofo." I I, I didn't say mofo. I used the real word. I yeah. gave. I'm going to let the parents know how much you're lying. And then they were like, oh, take it easy, Sergeant. No, you're lying. You're sure. trying to protect the school. These kids are getting robbed every day coming to and from school, and you're lying about it. And I, look, I can just imagine Harvard and Yale and, uh, times 10, probably, uh, the, the interference they run to. No, nobody know. wants bad press, you know, especially a $50,000 a year high school. Right. We've right. even had cases with um, family money where the families haven't wanted the cases pursued because they don't want publicity in their families, um, you know, which has been comp- really outrageous. And we've seen that, uh, you know, in the Woodward case where we, people are willing to let go of, of charges even to because to, to, to avoid to scandal. avoid scandal and people yeah. with great means and. So it's like that means almost more to them than the justice. What do you guys think about? Uh, are you familiar with the uh, the Duke lacrosse case where there was the uh, alleged rape and it was covered up by the school? What do you guys think about that? Boy, I wish I knew. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to brush up on it yeah. before I give a give a. I don't want to give an answer that. Well, basically, the, the synopsis of they brought two strippers home and yeah. Yeah, uh, right. to a big lacrosse party, mm-hmm. and uh, they didn't after want to the. Pay. St- the strippers alleged that they were raped, and it there and was then it big, turned out to be false. It turned right. it, was, it was false, but the yeah. race thing—they immediately went against these rich the, the white kids did a from lot of covering up too. On that. The, no, they, but the school—the school got sued. I heard the yeah. school parted with ten million per lacrosse yep. player. The yep. guys—I think there was like three or four of them who were arrested. Yeah, wasn't it the and magazine that was involved too? The magazine who wrote the article. Everyone went yeah. against these guys. Every single one, and and it turned out. You know what it was? They went after the wrong guys because these kids had the means to hire the top attorneys, and they fought it. And the one, the woman who um, made the allegations, she did a murder a couple of years after that. Yeah. So wow. I mean, she was you know involved in a murder. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, privilege can be used against you too. I mean, we have a case of you know Thomas Gilbert who murdered his father in New York, very wealthy Princeton, 
And, you know, if you read the headlines, it's like he murdered his father because he lowered his allowance. You see this in the headlines. Yeah. And, you know, if you really look into the story, that's not the, you know, he was a very mentally ill guy. He had suffered mental illness for many, many years. You know, if you look into it deeper, so sometimes the privilege can be held against you too, where he was really painted to be this spoiled brat, which, I mean, he may have been somewhat, but he was also a very sick, you know, sick individual. So the story can be distorted. You know, you know family sometimes they'll throw money at a problem as opposed to dealing with the actual problem. I actually had a relative and uh, I saw that, you know, uh, a relative who was wealthy and, you know, there was uh, an issue with narcotics and, uh, you know, throwing money at it just made it worse until it was finally dealt with. So, yeah, I think that's uh, one of the components of why these things mushroom out of control and then they look to you know to protect and cover for uh the person that either commits a murder or whatever they do you know uh, we we just did the von bulow case <laughs> and what and honestly laura and i we, we'd have to turn off the mic because we would be fighting really fighting about it like walk out <laughs> of the room fighting about it you know but it talk about privilege and you know talk about uh covering up and what was the actual truth and, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and that's where I think the privilege backfired for that family because they hired, they hired a PI, you know, to go into that house and collect evidence and the chain of custody got broken because of that. And it screwed their whole case, you know? So, well, I mean, they, they were very see we're ready to fight about it we're, I was just were, say, the, the, the mic is the the, uh, the headphones are going to split that's right. why you shouldn't be sitting in the same chair because if you're too close no, to sometimes each no other. truthfully yeah. you yeah. know they were like klaus von bulow is lucky he had money because somebody else could be sitting in jail for the rest of their life for what those yeah. what they did you know when people with money are allowed to it was overturned by the rhode island supreme court but you know you can't be in my opinion you can't be allowed to take your money and conduct a private investigation so you know and leave the police out of it and then well you know one of the things you talk about privilege you talk about harvey weinstein you know harvey weinstein actually had the balls the threatened detectives and a lieutenant from manhattan special victims who were invested he had the balls like to He's say you guys basically you guys are done yeah. You guys are going to be working in Staten Island tomorrow. I mean, can you imagine that? I wanted, wanted to slap that fat bastard, you know? Oh, my God. But but now it, it backfired because he's in prison now, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, he's learning now. <laughs> you want to yeah. hear my Harvey Weinstein story? Uh-oh. Absolutely. <laughs> Only if it's dirty. No. <laughs> Thank God it's not, is all I can say. No, I, I spent my honeymoon in um in Montreal, and I we went to a restaurant that was outdoors, and I, I saw, I saw kind of a large guy and I was like, God, that's, that's Harvey Weinstein. This was way, way, way before he was sitting at the table with a very nervous looking, very young woman. And I, I can, can tell you that he just gave me the automatic creeps, absolutely automatic creeps. So it, it's, so anyway. So I, I, that was, that's my Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. He's uh, a yeah. But I'm sure you guys have better stories about him. So. Well, no, no, they, I, they, I actually read that story that it, I think it was, uh, you know, what's his name? Um, Farrow, the guy who uh, wrote the story. Oh, yes. that, yeah. Ronan Farrow. Ronan Farrow. He put that in his story that he actually threatened 
the detectives and, and the lieutenant from special victims like he had the power to do something about them investigating him. Unbelievable. The, the yeah. thing that really bothers me the most about Harvey Weinstein is that it went on for so long, it was never reported. And uh, I know one of the people that was on his defense team, a, a friend of mine who was an attorney, was on the defense team. And there were situations with, you know, very high profile actors. I'm not going to name any names, but they had encounters with him 20 or 25 years ago. And they were pretty bad. There were sexual encounters where he, you know, they were trying to read for a part or whatever it was. And he did things and came onto them or whatever. And then they didn't come forward until all these years later. So that I think was part of the problem. There was definitely a culture of uh, corruption around him, protecting him all the way to the Clintons, as we all know. So uh, again, it took a lot of coverage for those people that did come forward. And once they did come forward, all the other stories came out and uh, he's where he belongs, I would say, you know, and the really dangerous thing about him was it wasn't just, hey, I'm going to hit on you and you're not interested. I'm. It was like, you're going to do this or I'm going to ruin you. You yeah. know, like that, that's the really, I mean, not, I'm not saying that, the, you know, I'm not saying that the other alternative is, is good or acceptable or anything like that, but that was the super dangerous thing about him, you know. And, the, and he actually hired some Israeli security company that were his hitmen, basically. That were designed to get dirt on people who had who had uh, you know con- uh, turned on yeah. him. Who was making reports right. against him. So I mean, there's another thing. Oh, who who's this guy? The mafia? He's going right. to hire some Israeli? You know, he was like the Hollywood mafia, Bill. That's a yeah. good uh, comparison. Yeah. But, like but the the, I think the problem with Weinstein, though, he was just a symptom. That whole that whole. I lived out in L.A. for you know back in early '90s, and the casting couch was like. That was just that yeah, was just it was part of it was part of the game. Absolutely. It was part of the game. Yep. LA's yeah, fine, the sun shines most of the time and the feelings laid back. The rents are low. I forget the rest of the words. <laughs> I just think a lot of people are complicit with Harvey Weinstein. I mean, one man, you know, can't have that much power without a lot of help and a lot oh, of absolutely. other people keeping their mouths shut. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I'm Meryl, sure Meryl Streep said Harvey Weinstein is God, you know. So I I I'm yeah, sure but- Bill, he probably that. had his Ghislaine Maxwell's too, Maybe more than one, I'm sure that would. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah, sure. You know, get these young aspiring actresses that want to make it in Hollywood, steer them towards him. Absolutely, there's other there's other people sure. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, this young you know, lady on the screen wrote a book about a Harvard uh, murder that was from years ago. You guys familiar with her? Yes, definitely. Uh, we uh, we sort of have a different take on the same case, though. Uh, <laughs> on the um, Jane Britton case? Yeah, the uh-huh. the Jane Britton case. Um, yeah, we we definitely have sort of a different take on it than what was what I found in her book at, at least. So you know, Sarah, what's amazing right now is that how many cases from the past are sitting on the shelf that could be solved through DNA that's never been looked up. Oh my we God. we had a young yeah. man on recently, Eric Schubert. The kid is like unbelievable. He's 20 years old. He just solved the 58 year old homicide of a nine year old girl through genealogy. This wow. kid is like incredible. And here he is. He's 20 years old. He's one of the top genealogists in the country. And he learned it by himself. Oh, he, love he that. took it really is amazing, hobby, so to speak. And he just, he, he, he actually solved uh, some old murders recently. He's working on several right now. Just amazing. Sweet. Speaking of which, and sorry, am I talking too much, Laura? No, no, I was just going to no, yeah. say that this is the beauty of the internet and with, with the with the interest in true crime is you're seeing that a lot. You're just seeing, 
people. Um, we actually covered a missing persons case recently, and um, in, in his the the person's identity was found through social media. I mean, it it just I feel like people are getting really involved and. I mean, we were talking about the Murdoch case earlier and the top one of the top Murdoch podcasts. We know um, the woman, Seton Tucker, who who is the podcaster, and she was a stay at home mom. She just got interested in the case and now she has a top podcast. You know, people are really interested and they're they're do they're not just showing interest. They're doing something about it. They're getting absolutely. You You know, what's amazing, though, is that, you know, there's some there's some people that are on YouTube that they don't know what the hell they're talking about, yeah. but they have, they have 200,000 subscribers and you're mm-hmm. like, how does this happen? This person is clueless. They yes. know absolutely zero. And then there's other people that have, have the credentials, but they have the ethics of a used car salesman from Detroit. You know what I mean? And we, we've seen, we've seen a few of them too. And it's like disgusting what some of these people, look, I, look, I'll, if it takes me, 10 years to get to 100,000 subscribers will take me 10 years. I'm not going to be unethical the way some of these people on – some of these people go interview principals on a case while the case is live. Right. To me, that is such a no-no right. as to be like – once the guy did it, I was like, this guy's a piece of shit. And he's got almost 100,000 subscribers. I won't say his name. I'm sure right. people that are watching know who I'm talking about. But that yeah. is so unethical that if you know, if I was the detective, I would pay him a visit. I would say you come near the any of the principals on this case, I'm going to have you locked up for obstructing governmental administration. He has no right to interview these people. Well, you, you I mean, what? if they're represented by attorneys too, they that I would think that the attorneys would get you know. No, no, they're not. Well, they, they were they weren't represented. But one of the things is he he interviewed a witness who was who was a juvenile, live on camera, and put him in great danger. Oh yes, and, oh, and just wow. thought. Yeah, and just thought, oh, you guys are just jealous. I'm doing this. No, you what have Bill no was ethics. Talking about is when a detective is investigating a murder, you don't need uh, anybody snooping around or talking to your, you know, your your main players, sure. uh, witnesses, uh, possible suspects. You don't want anybody uh, leading them, giving them information, talking to them. It's just, you know, it, it would right. be interfering with an investigation. Where, you know, we both said at the time when when the incident that he's talking about, we both said that. We would reach out to that person and say, you know, sis and this, uh, deceased, you know, don't sure. uh, don't talk to our witnesses and anything like that. But this podcast stuff is very, very powerful because we were covering the Summer Wells case pretty, pretty closely. We did a lot of episodes on that. And early on, we called for the other kids in that home to be, uh, you know, uh, looked at by Child Protective Services. And lo and behold, very shortly thereafter, within a week, they, they showed up and they removed the kids. Now, we don't know for certain if that was because of our calling for it on the podcast, but maybe it was. Who knows? So sure. there's some positive things that come out of the stuff that we're doing. And Bill and I have said right from the beginning, we're going to try and maintain integrity. We will not, uh, you know, uh, broadcast something that we don't know unless it's a fact. Uh, sometimes people will go into the chat and they'll say, well, this is going on with the case and that. And until we can confirm it, you know, we really don't talk about it. But then there are certain things like uh, the day that uh, 
uh, Gabby Petito was identified. Her remains had been found and she was identified. We were reluctant to report that right away, but then it was clear that the FBI came out and they made a, uh, they did a press conference. And so then we, you know, we went along with it. So you have to be careful. You know, you're walking in uh, very uh, sensitive territory with these cases. So you have to really, especially when it's an active case, a missing person case like sure. Gabby Petito and, and uh, Summer Wells, those were two very, very high profile case and uh, cases. And, you know, so you, you really have to be careful, but it, it's a great thing. I know to me being retired, I, I just had my 19th year retired anniversary yesterday and oh, it just congratulations. connected. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I had a long career. I was on the force for 22 years, did a lot of uh, great things. I uh, can't tell you how much I do love what I did and I just wish I could go back sometimes, but, uh, you know, being part of this podcast stuff and talking about it and getting into it, it just, uh, it keeps me connected, so to speak. Mm -hmm. and I really yeah. love it. You know, folks in the chat, this is police off the cuff, real crime stories. Uh, if you're not subscribed to us, please go on our YouTube, hit the subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, ring that bell. And if you want to support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. And if you want to join the police off the cuff, YouTube family, uh, we have five different levels, and you can see the folks in the green font. Most people tonight, and I'm sorry I uh, was a little bit uh, not sure of the scheduling, but uh, someone said, let's go, Brandon, is given the um, <laughs> is given the State of the Union address right now. And uh, that's where a lot of you, I can't believe police off the cuff fans are watching the State of the Union rather than us. But uh, that, <laughs> that, 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 that's what happened. And uh, – but you guys that are here, thank you so much for uh, giving it to us over the president. <laughs> you, you know, Billy, you talk about, you talk about, since you brought up Let's Go Brandon, you talk about privilege. Uh, Hunter Biden, that that's, uh, there was a tremendous scandal that was unearthed right before the election. And it was basically, uh, it was not broadcast anywhere. It was shut down by social media. So there's privilege there. And currently, Alec Baldwin uh, experienced privilege. It took three and a half or four weeks to get his phone on a subpoena uh, related to the uh, the horrible, horrible shooting of Helena Hutchins. And I could think of another case that's uh, a ways back a bit. But uh, again, there was privilege there. They were afraid to ask questions uh, right in the beginning. The John Benet Ramsey case. They oh, yeah. were afraid oh, yeah. to search the home because they didn't want to upset uh, Mr. and Mrs. Ramsey. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Billy and I both are of the uh, opinion when it comes to a child missing uh, a heavy murder case I don't care who it is I'm doing what I have to do and if I have Absolutely. to upset some people and I've made this statement many times before and I don't get a Christmas card next year that's okay I'm okay with that because when it comes to a victim or justice uh, we have to do what we have to do so sometimes you ruffle a few feathers or you crack a few eggs but uh, you got to get the job done you know Good. What, what, what are your thoughts on the Benet case the John Benet Ramsey case, my thoughts, there's been so many things going way back, uh, both pro and con that they're involved. I think that someone, I, I won't say who because I don't know, someone within that household was responsible for that young girl's death. Me too. Yeah, me too. Bill, but then I think the look, I, I always think you got to look at the family. It's it's you always got to look at the people closest to the victim. You know, but we see in a lot of our cases what happened in the Ramsey case, which is these powerful families mm -hmm. and these expensive, you know, areas, and the police come in and the families are kind of running the show. So no good. friends come see, in, that, trample over you know, something. Let let me tell you something that happened at the Rayos homicide. It was disgusting. Uh, 
I, I'll tell you the story of the Rayos homicide. I think it was Bring them up to date on that, yeah. I think it was yeah, 2006. Yeah. There was a wise guy, a real made guy standing at the bar. And this woman who was a Broadway singer was singing a song. And he, the wise guy says, I wish that wailing slut would shut the hell up. You know, he used more colorful language. Profanity. And some old guy at the bar says, hey, buddy, cut her some That's slack. Give her a break. You know, and the guy says, he said something I can't repeat on this show because we'd be X-rated. And the old guy says, no, you won't do that to me. He implied he would anally penetrate him. That's what he said. And, and so the old guy pulls out a gun and shoots him dead at the bar. Shoots him dead and shoots another guy who's sitting at the table with the owner in the leg accidentally. He walks out the bar and he's grabbed by two uniformed cops that were outside. But the point was they were uncooperative as all hell. The owners of Rayos, everyone that was in there, you know, all of a sudden had amnesia. Vinny the Vest, the bartender, was cleaning was glasses at the times. This guy was looking over there. No one saw anything. <laughs> but but as it turned out, the guy confessed, and we didn't really even need. But it was disgusting just how they thought they were going to. And every boss on the NYPD showed up. They were all coming out of the woodwork, you know. And we're like, this you, is you, you guys familiar with Rayos? In the city of no. Manhattan? Okay, it, it's a very small Italian restaurant, but it's got, got a tremendous following. Anybody that's anybody in New York City wants to go there. I think Eric Adams was there not long ago. There's only there. eight tables. There's only eight yeah. tables, but Is it's it in a dangerous... Italy? No, no, it's, it's, in East, it's in East Harlem on 115th yeah. oh, wow. Street. Okay. But that's one of the, the things about it. It's in a dangerous neighborhood. Yeah. So all of these people are like, oh, we can go to this dangerous it's neighborhood. It's got a war. It's got a certain and, and war. Pleasant, and Pleasant Pleasant Avenue down. used to be all run by wise guys years ago. I don't yeah. know if there's any wise guys left, but yeah. Pleasant Avenue was all mobsters. And now, oh, wow. you know, Rayo's is left. And now they, look, they have that that uh, sauce now. Rayo's yeah, sauce. It's an everyday okay. supermarket. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the oh, I use my own sauce, but I didn't know about the mascot. <laughs> I did. <laughs> it's the good actual so owner Listen, of it's, it's good sauce. It okay? actually is. It actually is. Really I, 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 I swore I would never buy it because I didn't like the way they treated us. But yeah. then I tasted it. And I was like, yeah, down. maybe I forget about the, the, how we were treated that night. <laughs> forget about it. Yeah, you had to forget do it about it. Nothing pizza, right, Billy? And then the one owner, his name was Frank Pellegrino. He was on The Sopranos. He played the head FBI agent. Oh, wow. He played the lead. Yeah. He was in a lot of episodes of The Sopranos. Yeah. yeah. But these yeah. guys thought they were like imitation wise guys, even to, hey, oh, you know, and they, you know, they didn't want to talk to me. They were going to talk to the chief, you know, mm -hmm. but yeah, it was, yeah. and everyone there from the police department was trying to get future reservations, you know, so they're, they're, they're more, <laughs> they're more concerned with getting a reservation and it takes like six months to get a reservation. Well, wow. the, the tables are actually purchased by wealthy people. Like Regis Philbin had a table there and yeah. Bo Deedle has a table. Yeah. It's sort yeah. of. How, She's in New York. Person. I used to. I yeah. Okay. I don't. My, I'll just ask my husband. I don't know. I I'm used the, to live there. I'm surprised I don't know about it. I'm the Boston Hick. So I, what do I know? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty well known. Look at you go Google it when you're. Uh, when you yeah, go I, I, I will. We're gonna do a quick. Uh, we're gonna do a quick commercial right. break. Philly, get your your uh, commercial voice on. Joe Murray, attorney at law. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. 
He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He literally knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or you could email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. That was 1702 on the phone number. Yeah, that's our only, um, besides, you know, Patreon and YouTube, that's our only uh, commercial we do. We At one time we had four different commercials, but people are banding us. <laughs> so we got we to gotta sell some new ones. You know, I love, I don't know if you guys ever had this. Someone just recently emailed me and said, oh, we have this product. It's a great product. And wh- why don't you do a show on it? And then I realized, am I an idiot? He's trying to get a free hour commercial for his company, <laughs> right? So, I, so I, I write him back. I go, I don't think that would do anything for us. And then after I, I turn him down, I realize I'm like, how stupid am I? I emailed him back. I said, yeah, we'll do it. Put $300 in my Venmo and we'll, we'll let you be on the show and push your product. And then after that, we'll do 10, 30 second, uh, 45 second reads for $30, $30 a piece. So that's the $300. I haven't heard back from him yet. No, no. <laughs> Nobody wants to part with the Denier. Yeah, like all of a sudden he oh, thinks yeah, I'm well. an idiot. He's trying That's to get a, a free deal. commercial, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you brought up the um, Jane Britton case earlier, and that isn't that that was solved 50 years later in Cambridge. Wow. The, the book was written about it. But the interesting, one of the interesting things about that case, which wasn't really explored in the book, is that and Sarah and I really looked into it was the, the perpetrator, um, Michael Sumner, Sumter, Sumter. I always say his name wrong. And Sarah always corrects me. Um, he said, we actually kind of believe that he was kind of a copycat of the Boston Strangler. The Boston Strangler had murdered someone in that same building a year before. Uh, like a, yeah, yeah, maybe three or four. Oh, three or four. Yeah. yeah. I forget the time frame. Yeah. So, and the Boston strangling murders had all been happening right then. And then this Michael Sumter had was a serial killer. He killed several women in Boston. Uh, I think three, I think he murdered three and raped several others. And this is just what we know about. And it's never really been explored that he was a serial killer in Boston who killed Jane Britton and killed these other women. It's just kind of like, let go. Nobody really ever looked into it. And, and you know, we, we always wonder if they saved, you know, biological evidence, some of the evidence, if they saved it after all those years and you could re-look at some of those cases. That case we were talking about with uh, the genealogical uh, hit from 58 years ago, the girl was nine years old and they had her clothing and it had semen on it. Yeah. And that's how they solved that case. So it, it, it was, was like- preserved for over 50 for, years. Yeah, over f- 58 years. I mean- yeah. And the That's NYPD, you'd be lucky if they do it for five years. <laughs> They'd be like, yeah. oh, there was a flood in the basement. Sorry, all the evidence got destroyed, you know? No. Oh, that's true. Well, well, the strange thing, too, about the Britain case is that about a month after there was a very similar crime that was only a few blocks away, and we think Sumter is responsible for that one as well. So we're not sure why there hasn't been a DNA test on that or not. Um, she actually lived where I where I grew up in Cambridge. She lived literally one block away from me. And, wow. um, you know, so, yeah, it's it's crazy. And we yeah. snuck in the building and went up to the apartment and, you know. It's, Just to get uh, an eyes on look. Right. So, like, you know, it, it's 
they basically had this narrative for years that a professor did it. And then when they found out that just this career criminal did it, it's like everyone lost interest in, in who this guy was and it was never really explored, but we're interested. Well, yeah, the, no, well the, the really strange thing about that case is that when Jane Britton was found and mind you, she was a absolute just beautiful 23 year old graduate student Anthropology, you know, at the time, which it was 1963 at Harvard, which is, you know, that's pretty unusual, you know, a very, very intelligent woman. But they found her and the perpetrator had built this kind of like almost like a weird shrine thing around her head with coats and furs and that kind of thing. And then had like she had this stuff called red ochre on her on her body which was something that anthropology people would know what it was. It's like this weird red clay. So they were convinced it was some kind of professor or somebody attached to the anthropology department. And so for years and years and years, they really kind of ruined people's lives, you know, over this just, you know, because they had their eyes on a couple of people and they thought it was this person and it ends up being a total stranger you yeah, know, completely. Yeah. How did he have uh, occasion to come in contact with that uh, substance? That would you call it red? I, it was I in her apartment. I don't know. I think I, it was in her. Apartment. I think it could have yeah. just been in her apartment, yeah, and it was. That doesn't like sound a, like something that a career criminal is carrying in his back pocket. No, I, I think these. Th it was one of those things where you people look at a case and they put so much put so much into so, a certain clue, and it really had nothing to do with anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I know we have exactly what you're talking about because I always believe in the theory of kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. If something yeah. seems really like a conspiracy theory, don't go in that direction. Right. Keep it right. the simplest thing. That was always the uh, the right way to do investigations in my experience. You know, yeah, I, I, you know, a lot of detectives we call it spitballing. We would be in the office mm -hmm. uh, talking about what you know. We come back from the scene or whatever and start throwing out theories, and there'd always be somebody have this crazy theory, you know, out on left field someplace. And I'd be like, put on the brakes on that. Let's, let's go in a direction that's most logical, you know, and uh, you got to keep where it the, or where the evidence is going to lead right. you. Yes, you exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. But you know, sometimes on the police department though, the highest rank uh, makes the decision, even though the decision is wrong sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And I, I would always say, and you have to follow orders, but listen to what the detectives are saying. The detectives are all saying that you, that's the wrong direction to go. And it's always, proven as time goes on that the detectives were right because it, must, the be, ones... it must be so frustrating though to to not yeah, yeah, sometimes they'll have people... that in the squad that i worked in now billy will relate no to but they'll that. have sometimes if they have the police um the chief of detectives making the decision from one police plaza or even higher if the police commissioner says no bring that guy in and lock him up we, and the we detectives are saying he didn't do it he didn't do it so the boss said, lock them up. And it's mm. happened before, you know, yeah. we, we would have influence from the mayor's office sometimes. And whether it be the chief of detectives or the borough chief or whatever, the bosses that I wor worked for would always say, all right, do that, whatever it is, do what they say, but keep going in the direction that you're going. And so we would try to do a parallel thing, but, you know, putting somebody in handcuffs that you know, didn't do it. That's unethical Ooh. in my book. And I could never, I could never be okay with that. that yeah. That's just something I would not do. I would refuse to do that. You know, you, yeah. you just cannot, you cannot do that. I don't care. You know, they could be a career criminal committed a thousand things. If they didn't do what I'm investigating, they didn't do it. That's right. Uh, you know, right. the same way. 
We have another case with speaking of genealogy that's we covered the Bradley Bishop case, which is a, a family annihilator. He he went to Yale, spoke five languages, worked for the State Department, was turned down for a job, killed his whole family, killed his three sons, his mother and his wife, disappeared, has never been found, which is a case which another case which I feel like could be solved because if there was more interest in it. So we covered this case and then a little while later we get a call and it's a woman who did her genealogy and she found out that that was her father. At, at 60 mm. years old, she did her genealogy and it came up. Imagine doing your genealogy, you're adopted oh and you do your genealogy and your father's on one FBI's most wanted list. And, and murders his murdered his whole family. Wow. I'm sure wow. a lot of people that they do their genealogy will find out things that they didn't want to know. Yes. You know, and it's, uh, it is sort of scary. I mean, that kid, Eric Schubert, uh, you know, he, I think he makes most of his money through finding lost people oh, yeah, and I finding see. lost family members. But like police departments will hire him, but they don't pay him. And I'm like, Eric, make them pay you. Oh, they have money. No, no, but I'm talking about police departments. No, I know. That's probably why he does. You know, and the they, I know sector. police departments, if they can get shit for free, they will get it for free, you know? So, wait, this kid is 20 years old? Yes. He started doing it when he was yeah, 16. He, had, he, seven, he started doing it when he was adopted. seven. He was seven when he started doing it. That's yeah, amazing. but he, he actually started doing the research into, like, a person who was adopted and wanted to find their, their real parents. I think he said he was 15 or 16, I think, Billy. And that's how amazing. we got into it. And the next that's thing amazing. You know, yeah. Listen, it's very, very time consuming from what he told us. And Billy's right. If the, if this kid's going to sit at a computer and do all that work and then possibly come up with a sub suspect, he should get uh, compensated. That, that case is. took yeah. him two years to solve. Yeah. Wow. Two years. So, yeah. you know, there's also some woman named Cece Moore and she's supposed to, she's on that show with the Harvard professor that caused, remember the guy who was a part with the Obama thing? The cop responded, and Obama said he acted very badly. Yeah. Uh, oh, that, that, that was that Cambridge, was actually. Yeah, that, but that, that's, that's the Gates? guy who, she's, yeah, Gates. Gates. She, yeah. She's on the show with Gates, and she's the top genealogist probably in the country right now. Wow. Yeah, it's I forget the name of the show, but I, I was trying to reach out to her, but uh, it's some of these people are tough to get a hold of, you know? I always tell our listeners, don't ever give up your DNA. Never give <laughs> up your DNA. <laughs> don't, don't don't send it in. That's how they. But, that's how. But they they can get it surreptitiously. I love that word surreptitiously. You know, that that's was my. I don't know if that was Buffalo State or my masters at John Jay where I learned that word. <laughs> it, definitely, it definitely wasn't Harvard. I was never in Harvard. I I wouldn't even walk on that campus. <laughs> even surreptitiously. <laughs> well, only if I learned the word like surreptitiously. <laughs> Oh God! You know, so many like police words. The the word I always hated was it would behoove you, and I was like, I never ever heard that word till I became a cop, and then I heard it every damn week. It would behoove you to do this. That's so <laughs> funny. <laughs> that that was when somebody was trying to get their point across. Like, do you want to go back into uniform and work? Yeah, yeah. it would behoove you to do what I want you to do. What I'm asking you, not asking, telling you, Billy. Really, I was I was behooved to get two haircuts in one week back in 1989 when I went into the bureau, and it behooved me to do it, and I did it. Yeah, you know they had tra transit police had the greatest expression. They would write in a police report. Uh, 
that they, they described the description of the perp and they would say he fled to parts unknown and i always went where the hell did that come from <laughs> fled to parts <laughs> unknown what's the matter with i that? know but i'm just saying where did that come from that come from like the history of the police department someone wrote that on the report once and then it parts, became oh, that, accepted vernacular you know yeah, no, no, it sounds it like is. something from like the 19th century or something yeah. he fled like, to parts unknown, unknown. <laughs> it, it, he, could we um talk a little bit about the case that we're going to be recording tomorrow. Sure. We'd love. Um, so this is a case that's sort of near and dear to us. And it's actually a case that, that I worked on as well. And this is the Richard Sharp case. Um, Dr. Richard Sharp. Dr. Richard Sharp. He was a Harvard medical guy. Um, and it is, uh, I had an in, sort of an interesting piece. So this is where, my, my the the podcasting and the PI stuff for me has has intersected, and uh, so tell tell them a little bit about Richard Sharp because she opened up Pandora's box and now she doesn't want to. <laughs> no, it's an it's an important case because it really was the case that Laura and I connected on because, as far as I knew, you know Richard Sharp was a case that came about in ninety uh, nine or two thousand and then it just kind of went away. And I just thought nobody had heard of this case other than me. And I, you know, worked on this case at the time it made huge headlines because he was a Harvard doctor. He killed his wife in cold blood. He was a cross-dresser. Um, there were all kinds of elements to the, he was very, you know, had a very successful dermatology yeah. practice. And he was a dermatologist. He did, uh, he did uh, a lot of, he did laser hair removal and, he was a very bizarre man. He kind of removed all that's his own strange. Hair. That's strange to do even that anyway. I mean, that's a strange profession, right? Well, it's oh, very profitable. Yeah, I mean, he just turned, he was actually, you know, all that kind of aside, he was a very abusive, kind of addictive man who winds up killing his wife. But yeah, when Sarah and I, our first kind of date, just <laughs> friendship date was, um, we we went uh we went we went uh, was, was, was that was that the date you were talking about no we went to the crime scene we went that oh, was okay. the first time we got together i know or was it the tie-dye pants date <laughs> oh. no that that was an la date <laughs> Or was it this date? No, we weren't someone, getting along that day. You know, yeah. I posted that and someone said that was their house behind you. I don't know. Someone said no, that. No, that's a know. dorm at Harvard. That's not their house. Okay. <laughs> someone said, that's my tombstone. <laughs> yeah. Bill, I just got a text message. Why do a show during the State of the Union? I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks a lot, thanks a lot Big Nick. Uh, that's my brother, Big Nick. Thank you. Yeah, next time you can invite us on during a big game. That's yeah, right. right. The Super Yankees, Bowl. Yankees-Red Sox, maybe. That's, yeah, oh, yeah maybe go. then. Or the New England Patriots and New York Jets. <laughs> oh, but I know, right. Well, we don't want you guys to be sad when you lose. So I know. Well, that's for sure. The Jets always lose. Yeah. But uh, so we, we're going to, but these cases, I mean, it's another doctor and another big New England case. Where does that and, case stand now? Is it still unsolved? I oh, he, oh, no, no. They saw, he, he killed her in, in cold blood. He was, you know, absolutely went to prison. Um, and in fact, in, I think it was 2004 or five, I actually got, uh, 
I, I got Richard Sharp as a case because he had made death threats uh, or allegedly made death threats about um, uh, to the prosecutor. And so I had to go into Walpole prison um, behind the cells and talk about creepy and do sound tests to see how much you could hear between the between the cells because he had basically talked to another uh, prisoner and allegedly and and offered him money to to kill the prosecutor. So and, and um, a third person heard it, or was the the uh, yeah the, a third person a co okay. heard it, but okay. it was kind of a you know you know, anyway, it was kind of a moot point because he was in prison for life anyway. And he ended up committing suicide in 2009 anyway. Okay. So. Oh, that saves the system a lot of money, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, guys, we're coming up on an hour and we usually don't like to go over that because especially all these people that are going to be running to, to hear the replay of uh, Let's Go Brandon. <laughs> but uh, we're going to have to have you guys on again, you know, because these are some very, very interesting cases. Um we're doing a lot of different things. You know, we don't just, we, we um, sort of concentrate on real crime stories. And, uh, but I've been also covering a little bit of this uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine uh, oh. during the daytime. It's just so horrendous. That it is so horrendous. It, it affects oh. everybody. And it's like the politics of it. I, I just, I, you can obviously see I'm not very, I'm pretty far right. But when I see idiots like John Kerry, who's also from your neighborhood, what a moron. He's like, I want to go to Putin and tell him he's affecting climate change. I was like, is this guy smoking crack? I mean, uh, I cannot believe he said that, you know, I'm the, I'm the climate earlier. czar, you know. I heard a story earlier today that some of the Russian troops were actually plugging holes in their tanks and different gear to run out of fuel so they didn't have to go into uh uh, Ukraine, Kiev. Uh, of course they are. Brothers. These are their cousins, their yes. brothers, their yes. sisters. Yes. I mean, terrible. nobody wants this war. I don't get it. You know, he's I a madman. He's very smart, but he's a madman. He's out of control, and uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is going to be. I don't know what the uh, end result is going to be. But I just hope that he doesn't uh, drag us into some type of a conflict because that'll be uh, catastrophic for sure. I'll tell you on my screensaver, I have a picture of a beautiful Ukrainian woman who said, I, you know what? I got my manicure done. I have my Kalashnikov. I'm ready for the Russians. Let's go. She's all in military <laughs> gear. And yeah, I'm it was actually Miss, U Miss Ukraine was, uh, yes. she was yeah, in I'm a like, bikini in one a... picture. Yeah, what about Another picture, what she had her ass? rifle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Even yeah. the president, you got to give the president credit. He's ready oh, to go yeah. down oh, Zelensky's yep. amazing. He's amazing. Yeah. He's a, he's like the new hero. He is. Yeah. You, you know what the Ukrainians? Oh no, maybe it's it's a little off color, so I, I won't say it. But okay. Well, I don't know. I mean, it, I, I don't, <laughs> we don't have to be politically correct here. Go. No. All right. Well, so you know what the, Ukra the Ukrainians love Zelensky, right? And you know what he said was like, "Don't send us transport. You know, we need arms, basically." Right. 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 And so the what the Ukrainians say about Zelensky, they say. Well, he couldn't get on a plane anyway. He's got balls of steel. <laughs> <laughs> now that was worth it. That was that, worth it. That's great. Yeah, Philly, last words. Last words. Ladies, thank you. Uh, listen to Ivy League murders, please. No, no, I'm going to give you last words. I'm giving Phil his last words. <laughs> I'm going to give you your own chance at your last words. Oh, okay. 
Ladies, thank you so much for coming on. Unfortunately, it was the State of the Union tonight. Not that many people are going to hear us, but so what? We had a great time. You guys have to come back. I think it's very interesting. I was reading about how you guys met over this uh, trying to adopt a kitten and stuff. I think that's a He's great here. story. So, yeah. so again, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Keep up the good work. This is really interesting stuff. And if you ever need... Uh, to ask a question from seasoned investigators, you have two right here. Anytime we would be glad to uh, answer a question or come on and discuss whatever case it is. So uh, it was a pleasure to meet you guys. Thank you. you Sarah, too. before I give you the last word, I just want to know, do you still have those pants? Be careful what you're for. Sarah, last words. Oh, I, I was just going to say, you know, I, I mean, uh, Please, let's talk about the Jerry Germain case. That's a case that is, is a cold case. Very good man, and it should be solved. So, and that okay, has to cool. Do with Look, Columbia the next University. the next time you guys that's come right on, rally. So that's no. Yeah, problem. we'll okay. uh, we'll definitely we'll cover that, and we'll just we'll just cover that. We'll okay. send no, yeah, we'll send you all the information. That would be great, folks. Uh, thank all you people in the chat that uh, chose not to listen to Brandon tonight. <laughs> Yeah. And instead, thank you, everybody. Instead, we got to give Laura last words. We got to give Laura last words. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Laura. Listen I thought you guys were Siamese twins. You was talking out of one mouth. Yes, listen to Ivy League Murders. We're on uh, all our socials, Ivy League Murders, and we have a great Facebook group. Uh, almost two thousand people in it. We'll we'll post this um, on our Facebook group. Please do. Um, and. Uh, listen to Ivy League Murders and listen to Police Off the Cuff. This was this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. It was to great it to again. meet you. Folks, be safe and we'll uh, see you tomorrow. Awesome. Stay safe. One episode.